Hello and welcome to episode 86 of On Liberty, coming to you live from the Center for Independent Studies in Sydney, Australia. I'm your host, Salvatore Bavonis, and joining us today is Elizabeth Laris, Professor Emerita of Political Science at Mary Washington University and President of E. Laris Consulting. We'll be asking Liz about Xi Jinping's true agenda and the legacy he is creating for China's future. Elizabeth Laris, how are you? I'm fine. Glad to be here. Thanks for having me. Oh, thanks for joining us all the way from the D.C. suburbs. Look, your book, Politics and Society in Contemporary China, has just gone into a second edition. For academics, of course, that's incredible. <laughs> None of our books go into a second edition, so I'm thrilled to hear it. But what can you tell us about politics and society in contemporary China? What's going on? There's a lot going on in China right now. Well, you know, COVID is all the rage right now. I'm sure you've all heard that Shanghai is locked down. And then the manufacturing hub of Guangzhou um, is, has closed off to arrivals and you have to have permission to leave. Uh, so, you know, there is manufacturing going on in China. Exports are slow because right. uh, they don't have the manpower to get all the exports out. And so that's going on. Um, and there's, you know, rising discontent in Shanghai and in other cities that are locked down. You know, Xi Jinping has been pursuing a zero COVID strategy. And they're like using Shanghai for an example. Uh, I think on Sunday they reported like 26,000 mm -hmm. new cases, but they're either asymptomatic or, yeah, most of them are asymptomatic. So it's a very you know, we would find it to be a very draconian way of dealing with things. And yet Xi Jinping, then he can still say, you know, we protected the lives of the Chinese people. And that was the most important thing. Well, yet I suspect there's some people inside the D.C. Beltway who do have China lockdown envy. Isn't there some <laughs> some some feeling in some parts of the U.S. that China is doing the right thing with this? Well, sure. We have grappled with that. As a matter of fact, the mayor of Philadelphia just reimposed a mask mandate. Now, that, that's not the same as, you know, complete shutdown. You know, in Shanghai, uh, you, you can't even leave your apartment and people are running low on food stocks. They're down to the, the cup of noodles. Now, apparently there's not a food shortage. There's food available, it's the delivery, right? And right. so how can you get food delivered? And people are trying to get onto these apps and the apps are crashing because so many people are trying to get on them and then trying to get delivered, you know, to the apartment, then, you know, to right. their door. And so that's very, very difficult. Uh, but as you know, because of the control of the media and social media in particular, it's very difficult for people to, you know, express their views, right. their angst. And, you know, a lot of people in China, you're, they they go along, they're going along and they're going to go along with this until it's over. Well, and it's very difficult not to go along. So many of our viewers you know, who are mostly non-Chinese won't be aware that uh, in China, the COVID app has a traffic light system, you know, red, yellow, green. And if your phone just turns yellow on you, you're not going anywhere. If your throne turns red, you're not leaving your apartment. I mean, so how how extensive, how all-encompassing is that system of control? Well, in the cities, it is very uh, efficient. And, you know, the Communist Party believes that it leads the people and it is responsible for the people. And it wants to maintain social control. 
Now, the Communist Party has an allergy to chaos, as most governments do. And so it is paramount that they maintain control and not let the COVID situation get out of control and not let a social situation get out of control. Right. So to what extent, uh, I mean, I, I can imagine being a, a totalitarian regime like China's Communist Party, um, that it's very useful for them to have this new tool of social control. And to what extent is this COVID control and to what extent is it actually simply control? And, and even when coronavirus eventually is gone, will there still be an app on your phone telling you when you can leave your neighborhood when you can leave your house, red, yellow, green? There may be. We, we, we really don't know. Um, my experience in you know my research and having been to China since it started the social credit system, you know, China started the social credit system as a pilot program and then it went national in um, early uh, either 2020 or, or 21. And, you know, a lot of people actually like it. And now, you know, there's 1.4 billion Chinese people. So, you know, it's hard to say who likes and doesn't like what. But, you know, a lot of people said there is merit to it because there's a lot of, you know, corruption in China. There's a lot of, of cutting, you know, edges, cutting corners. Um, a lot of people, you know, are trying to get away with not paying debt. If they can game the system, they do. And a lot of Chinese say, see, now that's really unfair. And, and so it used to be like the Communist Party members would get away with a lot of stuff. And then Xi Jinping came in and he, you know, cracked down on corruption. But the Chinese people, they do recognize that corruption starts at the very lowest levels. And so the social credit system helps keep that, um, they see it as more fair. I think that's a better way of putting it, that they actually see it's fair, that everyone's going to get nabbed by this, not just you know the big wigs getting away with what they can and the people who can game the system can get away with what they can. It, it, it brings a sense of fairness to the system, yeah. Hmm. And yes, I'm, uh, public opinion under tyranny is something that's very difficult to gauge. And I think we often assume that everybody must be unhappy, but that may not actually be the case. Well, it is hard to gauge. You know, the Chinese will say that they can express their opinions to their friends. They can express, you know, their criticism of the government, but privately. You don't do it online. You don't do it publicly. Everyone knows that. So, you know, there is discontent, but it's going to be among friends, with the exception of, you know, someone, an activist who's going to, you know, stick his or her neck out. But, you know, as I said, people, they want to live their lives. They don't want to, like, raise awareness with the government. And so, yeah, they're going to talk amongst their friends, but they're not going to, you know, go out and write letters to the editor and, and speak publicly on the buses and public transportation. Now, we are a live show, and we run the show live so that we can take questions from the audience and interact with the audience. I have a question already from uh, Christopher. Christopher asks, before we get off the topic of COVID, Christopher asks, can the CCP admit error on COVID control without undermining its sense of infallibility? Mm, good question. I don't know what era it would what admit. Um, you know, from the United States, a Western point of view, we say China should have acknowledged earlier that it was um, transmissible, you know, from human to human transmission, that there was this SARS-2 virus going around. 
but no, I, I don't think that China and Xi Jinping really has any notion. Well, I mean, um, can it can it yeah. ever admit that zero COVID oh, zero is not COVID. going to work? Uh, right now, it doesn't know that it's not going to work. Okay, mm -hmm. right now, the party line is that China has still a lot of elderly people that have not been completely vaccinated. All right, and China knows that its uh, domestic COVID vaccines only have about a 50% um, effective rate. And also China just doesn't have the number of hospital beds and the number of doctors uh, you know, per per um, you know per percent of a population that we do in the West and the United States. Though they are not going to take a risk in finding out that okay, we drop uh, this this zero COVID measure, and then they see a lot of you know old people getting sick and it spreads. And you know, there is also a problem with they've been closed up now for two years. That the moment they open up, people are going to be vulnerable because they have no natural, um, natural, um, uh, what is it, invulnerability? I'm sorry. Natural I'm immunity to get to, immunity, to thank, you, thank you. No natural yeah. immunity to this. Whereas people in the United States and the West and the third world, believe it or not, you know, in less developed countries, some studies are finding that their immunity yeah. is higher or at least as high as people have been vaccinated because they've been exposed to it. In right. China, they haven't. So well, the minute let, they're exposed, it could be a problem. Well, that's, let's that's leave, what the party's arguing, yeah. Let, let's leave coronavirus in the rearview mirror, hopefully not just metaphorically, but also literally. And uh, let, me, let me ask you about Xi Jinping. Um, in 2018, Xi, Qing, Xi Jinping changed the Chinese constitution in order to allow him to run for a third term as president. I use run in big scare quotes, uh, you know, to accede to a third term as president of the People's Republic. What does it matter that Xi Jinping stays as president when he could have, in any case, just stayed as chairman of the Communist Party? Oh, yeah, very good question. Uh, leaders of China generally wear three hats. Um, one of them is chairman of state. You know, in China, they don't use the term president in Chinese, it's chairman of state. And I think that's a more accurate term because even though he's elected by the legislature, lo, he's elected by like 99% of the legislature, right? So, so one hat is chairman of state and that is representative of the state. Uh, the second hat is general secretary or, you know, during Mao's days, chairman of party. Okay. And then the third hat, is the chief of the Central Military Commission. Right. And that is the party body that controls the military. So historically, uh, China's leaders have worn these three hats. And they, um, they, they get these hats from their predecessors on you know, different, let's say, you know, dates. Okay. And so it would be unusual for you know, Xi Jinping to be uh, what, uh, chairman or president for life, but not general secretary at the same time. So both of those are extended. So the most important event coming up is the October 2022 20th Party Congress. Uh, that is the big uh, powwow of the representatives of the Chinese Communist Party. Some, you know, it's over 2,000, it's nearly 3,000 party members 
uh, descend on the Great Hall of the People um, at Tiananmen Square. They represent the 90 million Communist Party members in China. And they largely, well, okay, they select the next party leadership. They're kind of told who to select, right? So, so we know it's going to be Xi Jinping. We know he's right. going to be general secretary. Okay, big surprise there. But what's more interesting to me actually is who else is going to make up the top echelon of China's leadership? Okay, so the general secretary is one of generally seven to nine men on the standing committee of the Politburo of the Communist Party. That seven to nine men are really the people who run China. And, and so you say country, men advisedly, I assume. Uh, that's that, just that, the way. That yeah, that, that is that they're, they're seven, seven to nine men. There are no women on the Politburo, is that? Correct, and there never yeah. has been. Right. right. So, so, so no surprises there. And it's going to be 79 more men. All right. And so like so one of the big questions is, is like um, Li Keqiang, who is currently pre premier or prime minister, the head of the bureaucracy, the head of government. Um, you know, will he maintain a, a position on the standing committee? Why does that make a difference? Well, then you start getting into the Chinese factions that he comes from a different faction, and yet he has a very high level position. So is Xi Jinping going to eliminate positions from rival factions, bring his own people on? Those are the things that like the China watchers are really going to be um, looking for. All right. let, let me get a couple things straight because we do have the professor in, in the room today. Um, so when people say Chairman Xi, that's not chairman of the Communist Party. Correct. That's that's actually chairman yeah. of the chairman of state, chairman yeah. of state, I, yeah. Yeah, which I'm we sorry, translate as president, but but it's actually chairman. Right, right, right. Because because president in Chinese is zongtong. You never call Xi Xi zongtong, right? Okay. It's 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 um, Zhu Xi. Yeah. Mao was chairman of the party. There is no okay. such position anymore. It's like they retired that jersey. Oh, okay. <laughs> a little bit after Mao. So, so there's only um, chairman of state, right, and general secretary of the Communist Party. Okay, and where does when? So you said that the reappointment of the general secretary will happen in October. When does the yeah. re-election of the chairman of state occur? Um, usually in March. Yeah. So, of, so that will occur. Uh, it's when the that, national legislature will meet. So the so that'll be actually in 2023. Uh, let me see. I get my years. Yeah, yeah. Ah, okay. So, so, so when we talk about Xi Jinping, president for life, quote unquote, that that hasn't happened yet. That'll be happening next year. Yeah, correct, correct. Ah, yeah, and also, okay. you know, if, I, I want to mention something about this president for life thing. Okay, so um, because he was able to get the state constitution amended, he can stay on, and um, he he can stay on for an unprecedented third term. Okay. You know, Mao hung around for a long time, but then when he died, you know, Deng Xiaoping came in and he was paramount leader. Deng Xiaoping had none of those titles. The only title he had actually was head of the Central Military Commission, again, the party body that controls the military. He, um, When he was that paramount leader between 79 and 97, he wasn't chairman of state and he wasn't general secretary of the party. That's why we call him paramount leader. Like what else do you call the guy, right? And so, but after him, there was a guy named Jiang, then there was a guy named Hu, and they served for two five-year terms. 
and then they stepped down. Xi Jinping is completing his second five-year term, and he's going to start an unprecedented third term. So this, you know, this made like, you know, some people in China nervous. Like we don't want to go back to the Mao days where the guy just hangs on. However, um, some other scholars have said, you know, there might be some merit in this. Xi Jinping has a very large agenda. And in particularly, if you're looking at Taiwan, okay, he wants to fulfill his agenda before he steps down. Well, if he were to step down in October in the normal succession, then he would need to try to fulfill his agenda by the time he steps down because he wants to have that legacy. And, okay? and, and so I, I, I'm going to interrupt you right there because we do have a viewer question from Ed that is entirely appropriate at this moment. Ed asks, is it safe to travel to Taiwan? Don't want to get caught there at the wrong time. So when you say Xi Jinping's agenda for Taiwan, what is his agenda for Taiwan? Okay, so I, I want I want to be careful, Ed. Um, I you know if you could get in now right now Taiwan you know because of COVID, so letting very few people in. Um, I believe that it would be it will it would be safe until at least October. Okay, Xi Jinping is not going to do anything to mess up his legacy, uh, to do anything dramatic before that October 2022 Party Congress. Um, if you look at Chinese history, as academics and historians do, the year of one of these big Chinese congresses tends to be like a conservative year as far as like policy goes. OK, and so um, what we're seeing this year is, you know, partly with this COVID, like just keep things quiet, keep things under control um, until that party Congress again, until he um, is is re reelected, reselected, reanointed, because there are he does have his detractors. You know, we don't hear about that in the media, but there are people in the leadership. There are rival factions that would like to see things a little bit different in China right now. So, so to answer that question, yeah, I would go to Taiwan. It's a beautiful island, and go while you can see it. Go travel all around and enjoy. So while you can see it is an ominous is an ominous <laughs> statement, but I won't ask you for a firm prediction there. Instead, I'd like to go back. I interrupted you when you were starting to tell us about factions on the Politburo. Now, I didn't realize that Li Keqiang was of a different faction from yeah. Xi Jinping's faction. Is he part of, I've heard a lot about the Jiang Zemin faction. Is, is he part of yeah, that okay, or is yeah. it something entirely different? Yeah, Jiang Zemin was the leader, one of the key leaders of what's called the Shanghai faction, the Shanghai clique. And, and the rival one historically, um, you know, since, since the, um, you know, creation of the Chinese Communist Party has been the, um, let me see, the, 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 the Youth League, the, the, the Chinese Communist Youth League, CCYL, okay? And they, they have, you know, slightly different bases. Look, they, they still belong to the Communist Party, right? The, the big ball of wax is the same. But the Shanghai faction um, tends to um, be um, made up of people who come from low um, Shanghai, but also like the eastern, the southern coastal, eastern, more well-to-do areas. Um, they have more money. They're urban, cosmopolitan, more technocrat. They tend to favor like market reform and opening. Okay. Um, and then the other, the, the CCYL, uh, the Chinese Communist Youth League faction, 
um, and these are gross simplifications, okay, but just for, for time expediency, um, the CCYL tends to uh, favor more rural development, social welfare, equality, egalitarianism, that kind of thing. Right. And so there still are a lot of very, very influential people in the Communist Party who belong to Jiang Zemin's, you know, Shanghai um, faction. Now, Li Keqiang, like I said, belongs to CCYL. And that's one of the reasons why Xi Jinping has really tried to sideline Li Keqiang. But but to again, to be like a party leader, you have to be bipartisan sometime, right? You have to have some bipartisanship in some of these key appointments, some of these right. key these key seats. Or bifactionship in this <laughs> yeah, case. In this case. Look, we have the questions have been pouring in, so I'm not sure which one to take first. Uh, let me let me start with with Anthony, one of our regular viewers, a big uh, a supporter of this program. Anthony asks, what are the main supports for the government's mandate from heaven. And I might say, uh, how, can you tell us how to properly pronounce Tian Sha, a word I've used many times myself, the <laughs> yeah, mandate yeah. from heaven. Yeah, um, Tian Sha, right? Tian Sha, all yeah. under heaven. It's the, it's the economy, stupid. <laughs> <laughs> right, right, yeah, and 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 for your young voters, uh, 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 viewers who might not know that, that comes from the um, Bill Clinton 1992 uh, campaign. That was that was the slogan: "Is the economy stupid?" Because the economy is so important to everyone. Yeah, and so uh, you know, Xi Jinping and 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 Hu Jintao, Jiang Zemin before him, and Deng Xiaoping, they they all knew that um, the the. The, the party's legitimacy rests on um, an economy, keeping a thriving economy, keeping people happy in their pocketbooks. Uh, you know, the party had gotten away um, in the in the Jiang years and even the Hu years. The party had gotten away from Marxist Leninism, Mao Zedong thought, and really had embraced uh, no holds barred um, economic expansion. And, and rapid economic development, but then, but then that resulted in tremendous, you know, inequality. And so Xi Jinping came in, and he said, first we're going to clean things up with his anti-corruption campaign, which he also used to get rid of his rivals. And then more recent, like only what maybe a couple of years ago, um, he he brought out this common prosperity agenda where it looked like he was going back to more like egalitarianism. And he was really like twisting the arms of China's big uh, companies like Alibaba and um, Baidu to, to, to be philanthropic and give money um, to various causes. But actually in the last you know, month or so, we haven't heard much about that because it did start to squelch entrepreneurial activity in China. Right. And, and I don't think you know, she wants to do that, especially now during this COVID situation. Right. Now, I, I, I misspoke, actually. The, the mandate from heaven is the Tianming. Uh, but the Tianming uh, mandate from heaven, a lot of people seem to think that that has a, somewhat of a quasi-mystical significance. And uh, you know, is there some idea that, for example, the COVID pandemic, the coronavirus pandemic, could be taken by some Chinese people as a sign that the government has you know, lost the favor of, of heaven in some sense or is, is not no longer in control. 
That, that is certainly possible. Natural disasters, disasters are one of the signs. Uh, generally, it's going to take more than one sign. Uh, you know, one, a, a couple of indications that Mao had lost the mandate of heaven is there was that Tangshan earthquake in 1976 where more than 200,000 people were killed. And then um, Zhou Enlai, you know, predeceased him. Um, and there, there's, oh my gosh, there were a couple other things that are escaping my mind right now. So usually it takes more than one thing. Uh, but, you know, people, people, people are, are understandably, you know, becoming nervous in China about how long they can continue to be shot. Right. I mean, people can't travel very freely. They can't leave the country. Uh, very few foreign students can come in, foreign businesses. You know, that, that a CEO, what CEO is going to go in like quarantine, right. like for how many weeks, if he can even get in, you know, to the country and not, then not be able to travel around. You know, right. one, one concern is Xi Jinping does have this made in China 2025 program where he wanted to further develop China's science and technology and industry so that it didn't need to import that stuff from the West. Mm -hmm. So Xi Jinping's agenda appeared to be um, make the rest of the world dependent on China, but for China not to be dependent on the world. So, you know, for Xi Jinping shutting down the country with a zero COVID policy kind of corresponds with that made in China 2025 agenda. I don't know how it's going to work out, though. Or conflicts with it. Yeah. Let, let, um, uh, so we, we're going to have to wrap up soon. Let me just ask a few rapid fire questions. Following up on what you just said, uh, Christopher asks, to what extent can, I'm sorry, uh, Anthony asks, <laughs> if, if, the, if the government's legitimacy depends on giving people prosperity, how will it react to an economic downturn, something China hasn't really experienced in a in a harsh way, in a serious way for 40 years? That's a big fear. Inflation is, is, a, is a big fear because China you know, experienced tremendous inflation before, during and after World War II. And they saw what it did to the nationalists, um, the, the government previous to prior to the Chinese communists. So inflation, well, they will control the media as much as possible. And also, um, you know, they could they could start demanding that businesses not reveal a lot of economic data. I mean, you can only pull so much wool over people's eyes, but they can they can manipulate information enough to ride this thing out long enough until perhaps they get a recovery. You know, the real estate sector is in um, big trouble as as well. So that's something we have to keep an eye on. How long um, can they, um, you know, breathe, continue to breathe life into that real estate sector? I, I think that would cause unrest in Australia if there were a decline <laughs> in house prices. Uh, Christopher, again, just a few, two, two more quick questions. Christopher asks, to what extent can entrepreneurs succeed without being perceived as threats to the power of the party in China? <laughs> well, be a party member uh, is, is one thing. And then, um, you know, say you got to say the right things. You know, but is it inevitable well, that if you succeed as an entrepreneur, you will eventually be cut down because you've grown too big for You good? can't be more influential than the party. So you limit yourself. Right. I mean, Jack Ma got cut down to size because he went he, he publicly criticized um, the government's fiscal policy. Yeah, he got too big for his britches. 
So get big, but keep your head down. And finally, from Leanne, uh, we are, of course, here in Australia, and we're always curious with the views from Washington as to you know, what the world holds for Australia. And we're curious, Leanne's curious, what is China's agenda for Australia? Well, you know, it's really annoyed uh, with, with you all for um, calling for an independent um, review of the origins of COVID. So it's not buying your coal and it's not buying your wine, right? And so China can't backtrack on that too easily. So I wouldn't expect, you know, a lot of Chinese students to be coming back to your universities, you know, very soon. Um, it's it's going to be, I think the big thing right now then is watching China, how it's reacting this Ukraine situation and how the rest of the world is going to give China heat for not doing, you know, more um, to be, you know, critical or not support, you know, uh, Putin's invasion of Ukraine. Hmm. Professor Elizabeth Laris, thank you very much for joining us today. You're welcome. And uh, thanks also to our producer, Nico Malian. The director of the Center for Independent Studies is Tom Switzer. I'm Salvatore Babonis. Thank you for watching On Liberty. <laughs>